You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A critical vulnerability in Apache Struts has been patched. Dragonfly poses a clear and present danger to European and U.S. power grids. Ransomware continues rampant. Latin America social media platform Taringa suffers a breach. Notes from the Intelligence and National Security Summit. Cryptocurrencies in China and Russia. And say it ain't so, Joe. Are the Red Sox stealing signals with an Apple Watch? I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, September 6, 2017. Apache patched a major bug in its open-source Struts software yesterday. The vulnerability enables an attacker to execute remote code on affected servers running applications using the REST plugin. Apache Struts is very widely used, and the vulnerability discovered by researchers at LGTM is a serious one. It's been assigned the identifier CVE-2017-9805. A majority of Fortune 500 companies, as well as many government agencies, are affected. Vulnerable applications run from online banking to airline booking systems, from the U.S. Internal Revenue Service to any number of state departments of motor vehicles. It's a critical flaw, and organizations are being urged to patch immediately. LGTM has a proof-of-concept exploit which it hasn't released, so by all means, patch. There's a disturbing report out about a threat to the power grid. Symantec researchers warn that the Dragonfly threat group has been actively pursuing and has to some measure achieved access to U.S. and European power grid operational networks. According to Symantec, this means that Dragonfly has no further hurdles to clear were it to decide to disrupt power distribution. The effects would be similar to those Sandworm had on Ukraine's power grid, but differences in approach suggest that Sandworm and Dragonfly are distinct actors. There's no attribution yet. Both Russian and French text appears in the code, but that's consistent with false flagging. Global imposter, Synac, Princess, and Locky ransomware continue to surge in the wild. The best first defense against ransomware remains the tried-and-true practice of regular, secure, offline backup of your files. Other DDoS-based extortion campaigns are hitting some online gambling sites, which of course are highly sensitive to service disruption. Latin America's social media service Taringa, described as Reddit-like, has sustained a major breach. 28 million accounts have been compromised. We have a stringer down at the Intelligence and National Security Summit in Washington, D.C. today and tomorrow. Some interesting notes from the conference so far have touched on the U.S. intelligence community's engagement with the private sector and on emerging U.S. cyber deterrence policy. The USIC wants people to understand that it gets one big fact about industry and innovation. It's not all in the U.S. and not even all in the other four of the five eyes. 
Don Myricks, Deputy Director of Central Intelligence for Science and Technology, cautioned that we've encoded in our DNA that the U.S. is preeminent in technical innovation. We've also encoded this in our laws and regulations, she added. This post-World War II assumption is no longer true, and the government needs to rethink how it invests. Anne Winblad, founding partner of Hummer Winblad Venture Partners, offered an interesting fact. The quarter that just closed, she said, is the first quarter ever in which more venture capital flowed to China than to the United States. The summit also heard from Tom Bossert, assistant to the President for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism, National Security Council, Executive Office of the President. He talked about some of the essential elements of cyber deterrence. What's needed, he explained, is a well-thought-out and generally accepted set of norms for conduct in cyberspace. We also need reliable, high-confidence attribution of attacks. And we need retaliation that's sure, proportionate, and revocable. He said, significantly, that he thought such retaliation would probably not be cyber retaliation. Krebs on Security has a long profile on Marcus Hutchins, the white hat hacker the FBI arrested in Las Vegas. Mr. Hutchins is, according to the profile, a complex man with a complicated history. China has banned VPNs, and a man already convicted under the ban faces nine months in prison. China has also banned initial coin offerings. Russian communications minister Nikiforov has called for an indigenous cryptocurrency. Bitcoin and Ethereum are based on, in his words, foreign cryptography and thus undesirable. He says the government is working with Ethereum to develop a homegrown cryptocurrency. Here's a tip for Mr. Nikiforov. Russia's already got its own cryptocurrency, Vopercoin. We talked about it on Friday. If he'd care to do so, Mr. Nikiforov can stroll on over to the Burger King and the Arbot and supersize himself to financial security. He'll also be able to enjoy some of that flame-broiled goodness. Is that Vopper indigenous or foreign? Who cares? It's delicious. Taking a quick look at our CyberWire event tracker at thecyberwire.com slash events, the Cybersecurity Summit is coming up in New York on September 15th. You can use code CYBERWIRE50 for 50% off admission. There will also be a Cybersecurity Summit in Boston on November 8th. The Economic Alliance of Greater Baltimore is having a breakfast event called Leading the Cyber Transformation. That's September 9th, 2017, starting at 7.30 a.m. Maryland Cyber Day is coming up October 10th in Baltimore, Maryland. You can learn more about that at mdcyber.com. There's an event coming up in October called Networking the Future from the Florida Center for Cybersecurity. That's their annual conference. You can find out more about these events at thecyberwire.com events. And speaking of events, the CyberWire is proud to be a media partner of the 8th Annual Billington Cybersecurity Summit, coming up in Washington, D.C. on September 13th. Tom Billington heads up Billington Cybersecurity, and he's here to tell us about the summit. The attacks are growing, whether they be WannaCry or Petra, and nation states across the globe are becoming more active. We thought it was important to address both the proactive approach and the unprecedented times that we're living in to uh, be an overall focus, and obviously we dive deeper uh, throughout the full day. We had the uh, the cybersecurity executive order from the president. That's one of the topics you're going to be talking about? 
Uh, it certainly will. We will be uh, kicking off the conference with the DNI director, uh, Daniel Coates. Then we will be focusing on the implementing the executive order from the perspective of five CISOs. That'll be a um, in-the-trenches view of the uh, executive order for CISOs at DHS, HHS, Treasury, and Defense who are responsible for the implementation of that executive order in their agencies. Uh, and this year, you're uh, even more than, than ever, you're, you have an uh, international focus. Uh, take us through uh, what's the international angle here. I'm very excited that this year we will have the UK cybersecurity ambassador, uh, Conrad Prince, and also the Australian ambassador for cyber affairs, Dr. Toby Feakin. Those are obviously two of the five Five Eye partners. Their perspectives are really critical because, as we know, cybersecurity is a global issue, and our Five Eye partners in particular are crucial to our country's ability to enhance our cybersecurity in our own country and for our Five Eye partners. Um, so, what about operationalizing cyber for the warfighter? General Votel is a four-star commander for uh, United States Central Command. He oversees military operations uh, in a variety of countries, including in Iraq and Afghanistan. He will be uh, attending to give the closing keynote and discussing uh, cyber in the context of the warfighting domain. And General Votel doesn't speak publicly often, so we're very honored to have him speak uh, at this conference in our nation's capital. What's your hope? When, when someone attends this conference, what uh, kinds of uh, things do you want them to walk away with? Three things. One is a much better understanding of the cybersecurity executive order. Uh, second is a terrific networking. And third is the understanding of what's around the block in trends. Uh, what will the next threats be that might arise, and how can all of us best address them? That's Tom Billington. The 8th Annual Billington Cybersecurity Summit is coming up in Washington, D.C. on September 13th. You can find out more about this event and learn how to list your event on our CyberWire event tracker at thecyberwire.com events. Finally, another Boston sports team seems to have been caught stealing signals. Major League Baseball is said to have determined that the Red Sox were using an Apple Watch to steal signals from the New York Yankees. Allegedly, a guy out by the scoreboard was reading the catcher's signs, relaying them to a team staff member's Apple Watch, from where they were in turn relayed to the batter. The Red Sox say, well, you too, Yankees. They say the Bronx Bombers were doing roughly the same thing as if that makes it okay. This right-back-at-you sounds fallacious to us. Not, you'd understand, that this Baltimore show is carrying water for the New York Yankees. During the New England Patriots' Deflategate scandal, scientifically literate Baltimore Ravens fans greeted the New England club with Tom Brady jerseys emblazoned not with Mr. Brady's name, but with the universal gas law, PV equals NRT. If you have suggestions for a similar greeting to the Red Sox the next time they visit Camden Yards, by all means, let us know. Maybe DeMorgan's Theorem or Bayes' Theorem? We welcome your suggestions. In any case, we hope the Orioles hit an Avogadro's number of dingers against the Bosox the next time they meet. 
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben uh, had an article come by from The Independent, uh, this news story about Donald Trump's cybersecurity advisors resign and their warning of insufficient attention to the growing threats. There was a whole group of folks resigned from this committee. Bring us up to date here. Yeah, so it was a a large portion of this uh, presidential task force on cybersecurity. They wrote an extensive letter outlining all of the reasons they decided to leave the commission. Now, some of them are cyber-related. They have problems with uh, the speed and urgency of the president's efforts to combat cyber threats. But they also talked about seemingly unrelated ideological problems. I think uh, since a lot of uh, members of this council are, are prominent players in the private sector, they don't want to be associated with a president making comments like the one that he made after the Charlottesville attack. They also mentioned uh, his inattention to climate change, citing the fact that he withdrew the United States from the Paris uh, International Climate Agreement. Uh, so there are uh, specific cybersecurity reasons, but we also see broader ideological reasons that some of these members don't want to be associated with this president. It's interesting, you know, from the cybersecurity point of view, because I think in general, President Trump's cybersecurity executive order received uh, positive notes from both sides of the aisle. Yeah, I think that's true to an extent. Obviously, some of these members objected to the fact that President Trump 
hasn't focused on issues of election systems integrity. He has denied Russian interference in our presidential election. But yeah, if this uh, were solely about his attention to the narrowly defined issues of cybersecurity, I don't think we would have seen these mass resignations. I think the resignations are the result of a broader critique of the president's policies. So I, I think the members who have quit this council are not doing so primarily because of narrow issues related to cybersecurity. I think it's because of broader uh, forces at play. And, and many of these folks were holdovers from the Obama administration, yes? Exactly. So to be fair, I think this article mentions that three of the members were Obama administration holdovers. Obviously, those members are going to have major ideological differences with the president. And we've seen that uh, in past administrations where you have some holdovers on presidential commissions from previous administrations that were ideologically different. And we maybe haven't seen this kind of mass resignation uh, as we've seen, especially in the wake of the the Charlottesville incident. But we certainly see uh, people leaving some of these boards when they are forced to work with a president that they don't agree with ideologically. I think the difference here is, is one of scale and one of publicity. I mean, I think not just this commission, but in a number of some of the business advisory uh, commissions that the president has appointed, you've seen members of the commission offer public uh, rebukes and public uh, critiques of the president's actions, not related to the narrow policy issues of those commissions, but related to his performance of his duties at large. Yes, some of it is normal ideological uh, differences, but I think the difference uh, here is is in the scale of uh, resignations. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.